Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We're honored today to have Brother and Sister Smith and Shiloh with us. Amen. And they're just part of the family. And we love them and have been anticipating this day for several weeks now. Would you make welcome to this podium one more time, Brother Douglas Smith. Love you, man. And praise the Lord, everybody. Oh, it's wonderful to be in the presence of the Lord here today. Psalm 16 and 11 said, In his presence there is fullness of joy, and at his right hand there are pleasures forevermore. There is just no substitute for the Spirit of the Lord. His Spirit refreshes and renews. It refuels and recharges, replenishes, revitalizes, re-energizes, rebuilds, restores, whatever you need. The Spirit of the Lord is here today. And so we give honor to Pastor and Sister Boyd. We just love dearly. And to all this wonderful church family, we love you. Uh, so happy that my wife and son are with me today. And we were telling Shiloh where we were going, and he kept pausing us over and over again. He said, now, is that my new church that we're going to, my new church? And Shiloh loves you, as do I, and as does Ashley. Uh, if you have your Bibles, we're going to open and read from the book of Nehemiah, the ninth chapter. And we're going to begin at the 13th verse. And we're going to read down to verse number 17, Nehemiah chapter 9, verse number 13. And we're going to read down to verse number 17. Everybody looks so good today. Aren't you thankful to be worshiping the Lord together? One body, one church, one family of God. Nehemiah chapter 9, verse number 13 and the Bible tells us this, Thou camest down also upon Mount Sinai, spake as with them from heaven, gave them right judgments and true laws, good statutes and commandments, and made known unto them thy holy Sabbath, and commandest them precepts, statutes, and laws by the hand of Moses thy servant. Gave us them bread from heaven for their hunger, and brought forth water for them out of the rock for their thirst, and promised them that they should go in to possess the land which thou hast sworn to give them. But they and our fathers dealt proudly, and hardened their necks, and hearkened not to thy commandments, and refused to obey, neither were mindful of thy wonders that thou didst among them, but hardened their necks, and in their rebellion appointed a captain to return to their bondage. But thou art a God ready to pardon, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and forsook them not." 
Here leading up to the 17th verse is telling us the mistakes that the people of God made, their faults and their flaws and their failures. But right in the middle of the 17th verse, it kind of stops and turns the attention to the Lord and says, but thou art a God ready to pardon. You are gracious. You are merciful. You are slow to anger. You are of great kindness and you forsook them not. He's ready to pardon. That's what I want to preach this on today. Ready to pardon and willing to forgive. Ready to pardon and willing to forgive. Can we lift our hands to heaven? Let's ask the Lord to speak to us. Father, in the name of Jesus, we feel your presence already moving in this sanctuary. God, you have anointed your singers and your musicians. God, now we are asking for you to anoint your word. God, let us speak. Let it minister. Let it encourage and empower and equip. God, we're going to praise and thank you in advance for what you are getting ready to do. God, we worship you for what's getting ready to transpire in this house and in this service. God, we give you all glory, give you all honor, give you all praise. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing with me. Well, from the very beginning of mankind, and throughout the history of humanity, we see a similar story, a theme that is all too common. It's the same version, but just with different volumes. Over and over again, it can quite simply be summed up as this, people produce problems. You don't think so, spend some time around some people and you'll find out problems just seem to follow people. Huh? Uh, Job said it like this in Job 14 and 1. He said, man that is born of a woman is a few days and he's full of trouble. It seems like we don't even have to search for problems. Problems seem to find us. Problems have a way of bringing anxiety to adults. Problems bring confusion to children. Problems bring predicaments to parents, dilemmas to dads, messes from moms, stress for seniors. Problems just never seem to go away. And it seems like the older we get, the more complicated problems become. At first, it seems as a child, you can answer, you can fix that problem rather easily. But as the days pass and the years come and go, the problems that we need answers to are not always smooth. They're not always straightforward, and they're not always simple. But it's in those moments, it's in those times that when we don't know what to do, and we don't know how to respond or to react or reply, and we don't even know where to go, we can put our faith and our trust in someone who does. 
Solomon said in Proverbs 3 and 5, he said, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not to thine own understanding, but in all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. It's refreshing, it's comforting to know that the God we serve has never lost a battle. He's never been caught off guard. He's never fallen asleep. He's never reached a place that he's unsure and uncertain of what to do, of what to say or how to act. But he knows the end from the beginning. He's the one that spoke this world into existence. He's the one that named every star and hung the planets in orbit. And Isaiah 55 and 9 said that his ways are higher than our ways. And his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. We are mortal, but he is immortal. We are corruptible, but he is incorruptible. We are temporary, but he is eternal. We are finite, but he is infinite. There is no comparison when we begin to talk about the Lord. Jeremiah 10 and 10 says, but he's the true God. He's the living God, and he's an everlasting king. He's alive and well, and he's still on the throne. He knows what's going on every moment of every day in every life, in every home, in every individual. And he does things, and when he does it, he does it right. He sees down through the corridors of time. He knows exactly what to do. Uh, when it came to Adam, God knew how to make him. When it came to Noah, God knew how to use him. When it came to Abraham, God knew where to send him. When it came to Isaac, God knew how to prosper him. When it came to Jacob, God knew how to bless him. When it came to Joseph, God knew how to elevate him. He knows what to do. When we don't have the answers, when we are unsure of what the next step needs to be, and we don't know what the action needs to be taken is. Ah, we can put all of our faith, all of our trust, all of our hope, and all of our confidence in him. Because he promised us in his word in Hebrews that he would never leave us and he would never forsake us. But he would go to the ends of the earth with us. Even when it looks dark, even when the future is bleak, even when it seems like there's no light at the end of the tunnel, there's an old song that says he walks with us, he talks with us, and he tells us we are his own. Huh? And we see it, but there had to be times, there had to be these moments where there was a question, God, do you still know where I'm at? God, do you still see what I am facing? Do you still know the problems that I'm dealing with, the problems that are waiting on me at home, the problems that are going to begin all over again on Monday morning? the problems in my finances, the problems in my family, the problems in my health, the problems in society and government. It just goes on and on and on and on. They just never seem to leave. I think about 
what we do when those problems come. I'm reminded of Joseph when he was betrayed by his brothers, yet God was with him. He was uh, left high and dry by his own family members and friends, but yet God never turned him away. God never cast him aside. Even when he was serving in Potiphar's house and Potiphar's wife lied on him and his integrity was questioned, yet God was still with him. Even when Joseph was down in the jail cell and broke, broke as broke could be, broke as a McDonald's ice cream machine, and that's broke. That's broke. God was still with him. We see the hand of the Lord still at play. And when all came full circle, when God finally elevated him to second in command, when he was serving right alongside Pharaoh, when he finally had a little money in his pocket and some nice clothes on his back, when he was finally able to eat some delicious food and put the ramen noodles to the side, Y'all ever been there? No more bologna sandwiches. We finally going to have steak and potatoes. Finally, things are going well. Things are going good. Things are blessed. And yet the moment comes where his brothers that turned on him, his brothers who betrayed him, who cut him to the very core of his being, his brothers who saw no future in him, but all they were filled with was jealousy and envy, anger and strife. You have to know that those thoughts had to always be at the back of his mind. Questions and wonder. Uh, whatever happened to my family? Do they ever think about me? Do they ever regret what they did? Uh, do they ever look back and think to themselves, we should have never done that? We should have never turned on our own flesh and blood. We should have never told daddy that Joseph was killed by a wild animal. We should have never sold him in slavery. We should have never done what we did to that man. All the while, Joseph is leading the people and uh, so preoccupied with uh, keeping all the food and preparing this harvest, but knowing the days of famine were soon to come. And when famine finally did come, it was Joseph that was working his fingers to the bone. It was Joseph that was making sure every I was dotted and every T was crossed. It was Joseph that was going to make sure that everybody had food and food enough to spare making sure there was bread and water, making sure that the children were taken care of and no family would go without. But yet on this particular day, it was said that there was a group of men that were coming to beg for some food. There was a group that was asking if there was somebody willing to help them out. They needed food and they needed it right now. And to his amazement, to his surprise, no doubt had to be shocked to his very core. Joseph walked out into the room and saw his brothers, the ones who he grew up with, 
the ones who he threw rocks in the water with, those that were raised in the same home, slept in the same beds, ate from the same table. But they were also the ones that totally cast him aside, totally hurt him. And I'm going to tell you, there's no kind of hurt like family hurt. Friends, you can kind of move on, but family, you can't move on. They're always there, always standing beside, always in the background somewhere. He looks out in this room, and there are his brothers. There are the ones that did him so dirty, that were so vicious and violent. The ones that absolutely broke his heart, crushed his spirit, decimated his mind. And it was so bothersome that when Joseph heard them talking, he had to excuse himself. He had to go back and wipe away his tears because he was so emotionally bothered, so drained in his spirit. And to make matters worse now, he knew they were begging, knowing that they were far worse than what he originally thought. So Joseph trying to collect himself, trying to put on the brave face, trying to keep himself together. And he walked out and there stood his brethren. And it was Joseph that finally made it known. The one who's standing before you is not an Egyptian. I'm not family or kin or relation to Pharaoh. But I am Joseph, your brother. And when he said that, there was a worry. There was a fear that grabbed a hold of them. What's he going to do? He's going to absolutely be angry at us for what we did. We cheated him out of years with his father. Cheated him out of years with his brother. Cheated him out of time with his family. No doubt Joseph is going to bring the weight of judgment on us. He's going to absolutely annihilate us and obliterate us. Joseph, what are you going to do? Surely you're going to lash out on us with some kind of punishment and penalty. But Joseph looked at them and said, No, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Joseph had his moment that he could have took vengeance in his own hand. But instead of vengeance, he offered forgiveness. Instead of condemnation, he decided to offer mercy. If that's not the type of Christ, if that's not the example that we need to follow every day, there's going to be times in your life that you can take judgment into your own hands. There's going to be times that you, everything within your human spirit, you would like to lash out in judgment and anger. But oh, if we could only follow the advice of Joseph. He wasn't ready to kill. He wasn't ready to condemn. He wasn't ready to hurt. But no, he was ready to pardon. And he was willing to forgive. Willing to forgive even though they didn't even ask for forgiveness. But he was willing to forgive. It wasn't long ago I was reading and you might have caught the news that really just in the last year or two this had taken place. Uh, this young man came to court. Uh, last name is Gene. Uh, 
the reason why he has come to court is because his brother was killed. To make matters worse, his brother was at home in his living room. Someone came in and shot and killed him while he was sitting on his couch. And so when he showed up to the courtroom, there was tension in the air. Uh, There was cameras that were ready to videotape. There were reporters ready to get the story. Uh, What's going to happen? What's going to be the reaction, the reply, or the response? The judge began to proceed over the hearing. And when the testimonies were given and when both sides shared their stories, it was then asked if this brother would like to come and speak on behalf of his family member who had been brutally killed. And he took the podium and the killer just a few steps away on the other side of the bench he began to speak about his brother whom he had loved and spoke about how he was innocently killed and his life was taken too short. He said, but I I can only speak for myself. I can't speak for anybody else. He said, but as for me, I, I don't want to see you suffering. I don't want to see you in a jail cell. I don't want to see you crushed and your life cut short like my brother. He said, matter of fact, I I want to do something that I wasn't planning on doing. He said, but I forgive you. So much so that the judge proceeding over the hearing started to lose control. Tears streaming down her face as she began to shake. And then he did something that totally shocked the reporters and shocked the news media he said is there any way I can give the one that killed my brother a hug if there was any way we could describe that one line it was ready to pardon and willing to forgive every reason in the world to lash out in violence and in anger. He had every justification to scream and to lose his mind and lose his cool, but instead he offered forgiveness. And there is a power in forgiveness that nothing else can do. Unforgiveness doesn't hurt the person it hurts you the person does you wrong but when you offer unforgiveness they don't get hurt you get hurt But oh, there is something that breaks. There is something so freeing when you can open your arms and say I forgive you for what you have done Jesus showed us in Luke chapter 15 when it was that prodigal son that left his father's house. When it was that prodigal son that drifted away from the ark of safety. That prodigal son that brought shame and embarrassment on his daddy. That prodigal son that spent all the money, spent all of his inheritance. And when he wasted all his money away, We find him taking care of the pigs, taking care of the swine, going so low that the Bible says he desired the same food that the animals ate. There's something about sin 
an old preacher used to say, sin will take you farther than you want to go. Sin will keep you longer than you want to stay. And sin will make you do things that you never thought you would do. Somebody say, I won't ever do that. But when you allow sin in your life, you're not the one in control any longer. Somebody said, if I ever leave the church, that's one thing I won't do. I'm going to tell you, and you leave the church, you're out of the ark of safety. You're not the person you were before. You don't have control like you used to have control because God was walking with you. That young man ruined his life, ruined his future, ruined his reputation. But down in the pig pen, the scripture says in Luke 15 and 17 that he came to himself and said, How many hired servants of my father have bread enough and to spare? What am I doing with my life? What kind of shame am I causing on my head, on my family's head, and even my father's head? He said, I'm going back. I don't have to be a son. I don't have to be a ruler. I don't have to be elevated or promoted. But if I can just be a servant in my father's house, that's all I ever need. That's all I ever need. And when that son came walking down the dusty road and that father saw him coming, you know what his response was? He ran to where he was. He threw his arms open and he wrapped his arms around that boy. That father could have screamed and berated him. That father could have yelled at him and said, what a mess you made out of your life. You ruined yourself, ruined your future, ruined your reputation. But that's not what he did. Even his brother said, Daddy, what are you doing? He didn't know his daddy was waiting for the moment that he could be ready to pardon and willing to forgive. See, when you're willing to forgive, you don't get caught up on the past. You don't, you don't cause a checkboard and a score of everything that's been done wrong. But when you're ready to pardon and willing to forgive, you just throw your arms open symbolically and physically and say, whatever you need, come on back. You need to be restored, come on back. You want to have joy in your life again, come on back. You want to have peace that passes all understanding? Come on back home. You want to be part of the family of God? You want to be part of the church? You want to be part of the body of Christ? We're not looking at all your past. We're not looking at all your mistakes. We're not looking to condemn. Somebody say amen. But we're looking to grab you and say, come on. Let our Heavenly Father forgive you. Let our Heavenly Father wash you. Let our Heavenly Father cleanse you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's what exemplifies our Savior. He's ready to pardon. And he's always willing to forgive. It's not that he doesn't know. He knows what's going on. But he's also interested in something more than our reputation. He's interested in our soul. Even in Luke chapter 9... When the disciples were with him, 
they were stunned at his response because they came upon a group of men that were rejecting the teaching of Jesus. These men weren't following after the Lord. They didn't commit to be his disciples. They weren't lined up to be baptized. Matter of fact, they rejected him and refused him. And when the disciples saw that, they got all upset. Jesus, you know what you need to do to people that reject you? You know what you need to do to people that refuse to follow after you? You need to be like that old prophet. You need to open up the windows of heaven, send down fire, burn them jokers up. Jesus said, no, no, no. Luke 9 and 56, he said, the son of man has not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. Jesus said, I didn't come to condemn the world. I came to save the world. I didn't come to push people down. I've come to lift people up. I didn't come to cast people out. I came to bring people in. He came ready to pardon and willing to forgive. Even when he was betrayed by his own disciple in the Garden of Gethsemane. And I'm not going to be too much longer. But even when Judas Iscariot, the one who held the money bag, even Judas, the one who sat at the table with Jesus and Peter and James and John and the other disciples, it was that same Judas that made a deal to sell him out for 30 pieces of silver. His own friend, his own disciple, his own that loved him and cared for him, chose him, selected him. And when Judas betrayed him with a kiss, Jesus called him his friend. Simon Peter couldn't understand it. When the soldiers started coming, he said, no, no, Jesus, let me show you how to get out of a jam. He pulled a sword out and cut off one of the soldiers' ears. I got a newsflash for you. He wasn't aiming for his ear. He wasn't aiming for his ear. But usually when we hurt people, it's through the ear. Usually when we hurt people, we cut them down with our words and our actions. And Jesus, he didn't get angry. He reached down and healed that man's ear and put it back together. Jesus, what are you doing? Don't you know what they're getting ready to do to you? You're calling Judas your friend. You're healing the soldier that's arresting you. That doesn't make very much sense. Uh, They're going to do terrible things. Jesus follows them. They lead him. To court where they speak lies on him. They lead him to the court where they smack him in the mouth and cuss him to the face. He's standing there when they spit and revile him. Then they take a whip and they smack him and whip him with this cat of nine tails. They embarrass him and shame him put a purple robe on him, a crown of thorns, they place it on his head. Then they take this old cross and they lay it on his back and all the while they're creating a spectacle. Can you imagine as you're walking down the road beaten and bloody, wounded and weary, 
bruised and battered and you have to walk past your friends and nobody's helping you. He's walking past the people that he opened their blinded eyes. He's unlocked their deaf ears and they're just watching him walk by. I wonder when he was carrying that cross if he passed a group of 12 men that used to be lepers. But Jesus healed them and said, go your way. But yet they're just walking him carry the cross. He's walking past the thousands that he fed with five loaves of bread and two fists. You don't think he's dealing with some anger? You don't think he's dealing with some questions? Why is nobody helping me? Do do they see any value in me? He's already heard them when they said, we want Barabbas to be released. What do you want to do with Jesus? Let's crucify him. Cutting deep now. Now they lead him to the hill of Calvary. Galgotha. Now they lay him on the ground, on that cold ground with the nails striking through his hands and striking through his feet. Then there they lift him up on that cross. And as they're watching him, the soldiers are smarting off, saying he saved others, but he can't save himself. Come on, why why don't you save yourself? If you come down from the cross, then we'll believe. Come on, Jesus. They got so angry. They got so mad at him that one of them took a spear and pierced his side with the spear. They were so mean and ugly that giving him vinegar to drink. He's hanging up on that cross now. They said, come on, what can you do? How can you help? And Jesus said this. He said, I could ask for 12 legions of angels to come down. If I wanted to, I could scorch this earth. I could destroy the world like I did with the flood in Noah's time. Jesus, here he is. He could have called the legions to come and destroy the people and to rescue him. But instead, Jesus says something else. With his arms open, leaning over, he says, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. If you could try to envision, you can try to picture it in your mind. He's hanging almost in a hug-like position saying, I'm ready to pardon and I'm willing to forgive. They haven't even asked for forgiveness, but I'm willing to forgive. I think about my life as the music's coming. When I wasn't doing right, when I was a million miles away from God, when I was addicted to drugs and my life was in shambles, little did I know there was a God looking down from the portals of heaven. There was a heavenly father looking down over the corridors of glory and he was ready to pardon me. He was willing to forgive me. How is it that he sees somebody like you and I? He sees individuals with issues. He sees people with problems. He sees lives that are lost and yet he's still willing. He's still ready to offer forgiveness. 
Oh, I wonder today, can we lift our hands to the Lord just for a moment? Oh, I feel the presence of the Lord here today. I feel the touch of the Holy Ghost in this room. Friend of mine, you've now haven't done too wrong. You haven't made too many mistakes. You haven't sinned too great. Oh, hallelujah, that he can't pardon and he can't forgive. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah today. I wonder this morning as every head is bowed, as every eye is closed with nobody looking around, he's here ready to pardon. He's here willing to forgive. But I want to challenge somebody. Maybe there's somebody you need to forgive. Somebody that you need to pardon. You've held on to feelings and resentment and anger and bitterness for way too long. Why don't you follow his example and say, I've waited long enough. I'm ready to pardon. I don't want this on me anymore. Because we can't get to heaven if we have ought against one another. I want him to search my heart. I want him to search my soul. I can't let anything, I can't let anybody come in between me and Jesus. Heaven is too close. The end is too near. We are seeing what we have never seen in the world before. Can I preach to us today? Jesus is coming back. Jesus is about to make his return. Jesus about, is about to split the eastern sky. There's about to be the sound of a trumpet. We need to make sure I don't hold on to anything. I'm willing to pardon. I'm willing to forgive whatever it takes. Oh, could you open your heart to the Lord today? Father, in the name of Jesus, God, you see, you have seen the hurt that we have held on to for too long. God, you know the pain that we've carried and we don't have the answer to. God, you've seen the tears that we've cried that nobody else has seen. God, you know the thoughts that have went through our mind that we haven't shared with anyone else. God, you know the musings even in our own hearts. But God, I'm praying today that you would wrap your arms of love around us in a special way. God, I'm praying for every man and woman, every teenager and child. God, that you would send down your love, send down your spirit, send down your anointing, your mercy, your grace, your compassion, your kindness. For you, oh God, are the one that's ready to pardon. You are gracious. You are merciful. You are slow to anger. You are of great kindness. And you have never forsaken us you have never forsaken us oh could we stand all across the house today as every head bowed and every eye closed is there somebody willing to step out of where you're standing and say I want to feel that love from him today oh hallelujah come on why don't we find a place of prayer why don't we just step out of where we're standing the Lord is here Come on, he's doing some open heart surgeries in the spirit today. Come on, let him take away that hurt. Let him take away that anger. Ah, you don't have to hold on to it any longer. 
in Jesus' name. Come on, sir. Come on, ma'am. Something special is happening in this service and in this sanctuary. Woo, hallelujah. Come on, maybe there's somebody you need to talk to, somebody you need to call, somebody you need to text. Let them know how much you love them. Oh, hallelujah. Woo, can you feel his presence? This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806. Or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.